Hello and welcome to Rationally Writing. I'm Dave Starreld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And today we're talking about originality in fiction. So there's a great series of online videos called Everything is a Remix. And it goes into how every story is just a amalgamation of other elements and other things in media that we've consumed. So with that in mind, what's so important about being original in fiction? You bore people if you're not original. I have so many caveats for that, but that's that's the big idea of why you want to be original is because people find it exciting and entertaining in a way that they generally don't find um, repetition to be entertaining. There's a, a lot of, yeah, like you said, lots of caveats for that, because there's definitely uh, whole indus- industries that have continued and make tons of money by essentially retreading on a yearly basis, if not, if not. Uh, sooner yeah. than that. So you can be familiar and comfortable and just feed people the same meal over and over so long as it's a good meal and that's fine to some extent. <laughs> but yeah, originality is especially if you're writing uh like short stories. Yeah, short stories have less time to develop uh unique markers and and develop characters in unique ways and they really get to the point much quicker. So you definitely want more unique story elements or themes or characters to be explored in the time that you have. And I think for me as an author, if I'm telling someone something that they already know, then what's the point? Why, why am I, why am I sending out that message if they already know what the message is? Right. So everyone thinks they're original. Um, or most people think they're original. Their thoughts are original. Their story ideas are original. Some people know they're not, but think that their particular spin on it is. And most people don't aspire to be unoriginal. So the challenge is, is what we're really talking about, right? What, yeah. what, what's so hard about being original? What is, what is the challenge in writing original works in general and doing it with um, rational fiction? Yeah. So being original means doing things that have not been done before. And the reason... The big reason that that's hard is because everyone else has been trying to be original and they've taken all the good ideas or they've taken all of the ideas that they would think of immediately. So it takes more effort to get past all the things that people have thought of already. The challenge of originality also comes in many different at many different points in writing. So the premise of the story is the first thing you want to kind of try to be original on, but it's the kind of the most okay not to be. Um, a lot of people do this thing where they'll take the um, premise of a story that is very similar to another one. For example, um, Star Wars and Aragon um, has a lot of people have criticized Aragon for basically following the boy goes up on a farm, um, gets you know finds out he has magic powers, is taught by an elderly wizard, travels the world, fight an evil empire, all that stuff. But the more specific you get, the more the originality, I guess, would be. Um, a problem if it's if it's not more original. So, what are some of the the cha- what are some of the th- problems that you see a lot in people who are trying to be original but fail to be? Um, people who have not people who don't know that they're not being original. That that really gets to me because you need to have read pretty widely in order to yeah. understand what people have done so that you can not do those things. Uh, if you go into storytelling having not exposed yourself to that much media, I think that you'll just come upon these same 
things that everyone else has come upon. That's already old news. Eliza Yudkowsky has uh, his series on intelligent characters, and he has a, an article on originality. And one of the things that he is talking about that in there is like, oh, I've read all this Harry Potter fan fiction, and I know all the things that Harry Potter fan fiction does and how all these authors use it. And so much of it is boring now because I, I keep coming across these same things over and over. Well, I don't think most of those authors were necessarily being unoriginal. They didn't necessarily know that. They just right. had an idea that sort of... Followed well-worn patterns? Yeah. It, it followed the patterns. There are the, the paths of desire in fiction, and then they just put that on the page, and it's just a copy-paste of whatever other people have done with the same characters. I mean, it's that's fan fiction. That's a, a different topic, topic that will... Um, talk about somewhat later in this episode um but if you're doing fan fiction and you're doing a limited cast of characters it's much harder to be original with them because they all their traits are already defined so new writers are probably much more likely to write unoriginal things and that's okay right that's part of the whole cutting your teeth as a writer and my new writers you know i'm generally thinking people between the ages of like 14 and uh, 20-ish. Um, not to say that anyone, some people can't start writing at a later age, but hopefully the later you start writing, the more media you've been exposed to. So the more media you have to draw on so that the mix and match of story elements that you put into your writing are going to be original. But yes, part of, the, part of the mark of a mature writer would be to say that their work is different in some striking way. But what is the value coming from a rational writer who's trying to make a original work. Just as an example, Friendship is Optimal is a great short story about artificial intelligence. If you want to cover a different kind of artificial intelligence story, you might not want to cover exactly the same themes that Friendship is Optimal did. But you still want to cover a lot of the same things just because not everyone has read Friendship is Optimal, and not everyone has been exposed to those same ideas. So... I guess where do you draw the line between it's okay to to cover a lot of the same material if if we're talking about actual knowledgeable subjects which come up much more often in rational fiction than non-rational fiction, right? Because we're talking about ideas and scientific things and thinky things, as you as you said, and those yeah. things kind of are are from a shared pool. Yeah, and I think I think that I have a sort of mix and match philosophy of originality. Like I don't want to read. I would never want to read a second story that's about uh, My Little Pony mixed with artificial intelligence. And I, I, I don't need to read those same story beats again. Um, but if it were artificial intelligence and some other video game and covered some of the same lessons, so long as it was executed well, I think I'd be fine with that because it would go in different directions. Right. It might start out with a very similar premise. Right. And then go off in its own place that was original, even if even if the premise was not. So I think that's, yeah, that's that's actually a really important point, that, the, like I said, once you start it up at a wide scale, the premise can be unoriginal, the details have to start being more and more original, the finer, finer they go. I mean, if you can make a completely original story and premise, by all means, but there can be multiple stories about a rebel band fighting an evil empire, or... Um, a person discovering a magical world, and that's totally okay. 
what you don't want is for a character in that story to be the exact same as another character from another story. It's okay to have characters who deal with the same struggles or have some of the same characteristics, but the more you focus in on specifics, the more original you have to be, with the obvious exception of tiny details that are ultimately irrelevant, like what kind of clothes someone likes to wear or small mannerisms they have. Individually, those can be taken from somewhere and put into your story, but you don't want to take all of those aspects of one character and put them in a character that you write about. Don't worry so much about the overarching things, and just focus more on what original aspects you have and making those the focus of the story. Yeah, and uh, I was reading um, recently, there was a copyright dispute um, between the state of J.K. Rowling and this Russian author um, who wrote, I think it was called Tanya Trotter or something like that, but it was a very Russian take on Harry Potter and they claimed it was parody, but it kind of wasn't. And then subsequent books did their own thing that were all about like Russian folklore and Russian myths right, right. and things like that. And hasn't, I don't think subsequent books ever got translated into English because of the copyright dispute that they lost but i think that you can start from a very similar place and then so long as you go off and do your own thing that is worth reading on its own that's that's fine and i think for the writing about thinky things i guess like the ai box challenge i could read any number of stories about the ai box challenge so long as they covered different parts of it and so long as it wasn't the same arguments from AI and gatekeeper repeated back and forth in, in with different wording. Right. So obviously Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality spawned quite a few sequel stories. And uh, off the top of my head, I can think of four significant digits, Draco Malfoy and the Practice of Rationality, Ginny Weasley and the... Sealed Intelligence. Sealed Intelligence. And um, the whole following the Phoenix kind of thing, which kind of kind of a sequel fiction but also it's somewhat not because it follows a uh, alternate ending I, yeah yeah an alternate continuation of the original story and i'm sure there are others that i'm just not remembering right now but so reading those all within a very short period of time relatively short period of time as i did there was a lot of themes that you saw repeated and and a lot of similar themes that were covered but they all felt original they all felt like they were still doing their own thing you know you can argue with that one did something better than another one. You can say that one did something, you know, not as well as another one did. But they all did the same basic premise, like continue the world of HPMOR in a in a unique way. And I think that's easier when you have the premise so wide open that there's so many different ways it can go. Yeah. Some genres, some like some genres like romance. You know, they're gonna be original romance stories, but the tropes in romance are much more narrow than the tropes in, say, science fiction or fantasy. Um, right. Maybe because... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've ever tried to romance, but writing romance is is difficult if you don't want to be, like, completely derivative because right. there are only so many ways that you can deviate from the script while still keeping it a romance, right? You, I mean, you can have love-hate relationships that turn into love-love relationships or whatever, but those have their own tropes and nothing's original there. And then if you have the relationship fall apart at the end, yes, that's probably not novel. I have not read that many romance books, but you, once you start deviating away from the script, you start getting less and less in the genre and then you're just not writing a romance anymore. Right. So why call it a romance? What really takes 
effort in a, um, a romance genre that's adopting a wider theme like sci-fi or fantasy or, or modern supernatural is what new unique conflicts come from the setting. You don't want to write a romance that is a love triangle that just happens to have vampires and werewolves in it because there's very little new that that can do. You, you right, wanna... and and for for like a like a vampire werewolf love triangle, like you could make those people human, and it wouldn't really matter that much. And people did make them human. They had there was this whole big following of Twilight uh, alternate universe humans only right. thing, and that's what um, Fifty Shades of Grey came out of. It was originally fan fiction where they just changed the roles and. One of the most unique romance stories I've ever seen, experienced, was her. The um, story about artificial intelligence um, being developed, and a person um, played by Jackie Phoenix um, falls in love with his personal computer that is voiced by um, Scarlett Johansson, and they, you know, she has no physical avatar, she has no presence in the real world. She's just a voice in his computer. His, I should say, omnipresent computer because they're in the future. Um, and the romance between them is very unique because the ro- writing a romance between a non-tangible artificial intelligence and a human explores a whole bunch of ideas. Like, there's a whole box to unpack there uh, that hasn't really been explored in a lot of romance stories. Yeah, and once once you start on that idea, a person falls in love with a non-tangible AI, there are so many ideas that spring out of that that right. it's easy to be original. Right, so that, that's actually, I would say, one of the major first tenets I would, I would push forward as, like, if you're trying to be original, what can you do? Like, what helps to be original? And the idea, I would say, first is make sure that you are unpacking an idea to its fullest, which ties back into rational fiction. Right? In a previous episode, we talked about how in a rational story, if something comes up in the story, it needs to be examined, its impact in the world needs to be examined fully. You can't just introduce artificial intelligent personal computers that you don't explore then what happens when people fall in love with them. And it doesn't have to be the main main focus of the story if it's not a romance genre, but you want to make sure that that's taken into account in some regard. Right. You want to explore that and its impact in the world fully. You can't just use it as a stand-in for the usual tropes that that genre would cover. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the other things that you should be aware of is what audience you're being original for. Mm-hmm. Because, like, urban fantasy, there are... At this point, thousands yeah. Yeah. and thousands of books that you know, very few people have read them all. I was going to say no one, but there's probably someone out there. But are you writing for the hardcore urban fantasy fan who has read all of those like hundreds and hundreds of books and knows every angle backwards and forwards? Are you trying to find some new angle for them, or are you writing for the more casual fan who has basically read like? four or five of the biggest series. And are looking for more of the same. Yeah. And my big advice for being original is be original with respect to the people that are most widely read, I guess. Like if something, I, I would never use an idea that had, that I had seen in like a Terry Pratchett book because, you know, pretty much everyone who reads anything that I've written will pr- probably already have read Terry Pratchett, and it'll just come out as derivative unless I have a really, really interesting new take on it. Which actually and, opens up... Oh, sorry, continue. 
Uh, Terry Pratchett's also a much better author than I am, so. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to try to mimic your heroes when you know that they're probably going to be better than you in a lot of the ways that made you admire them. But hopefully you yeah. add something new to it that they wouldn't have for that they don't have. Another point worth mentioning is that originality matters less for younger audiences. So if you're writing young adult fiction, it doesn't really matter as much if you're being original. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be. If you can be, it just means that the window for what is original is a bit more open. So for adult fiction, you might not try to write something if you think it's too similar to another story. But for young adult fiction, you can reimagine some more mature stories or themes in new ways, like the book uh, Please Don't Tell My Parents I'm a Supervillain. Yeah, and one thing I will say is that anything that you write, people will say, oh, this is a lot like X. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's unavoidable. That's You probably haven't read X, or I, I don't know, maybe you have, but I get that pretty much no matter what I, what I write. I'll get at least one comment that says, oh, this is just like this thing that you've never heard of. Yeah, we should probably talk a bit about our own like our own struggles with originality and 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 what you just said is a good way to start that cuz I when I started writing Pokemon I hadn't read any Pokemon fan fiction at all. Like I hadn't even read the manga. Like I would write a chapter and there would be for example I I had a scene where where Bulbasaur was just sitting in a potted plant while it was resting at at, at a trainer house and someone in the comments was like, "Oh, Bulbasaur in a potted plant. I see you've read Game of Champions." And I was just like, first of all, no." But thanks for the recommendation, because Game of Champions was awesome. But second of all, like, Bulbasaur in a potted plant doesn't have to be derivative of something else, because it just is a natural result of what, what would people do with plant-like Pokemon? Would they put them in environments they'd be familiar with and comfortable with? Yeah, potted plants are a good way to carry around that kind of environment for plant-based Pokemon. So don't worry about originality in nitty-gritty details like that, because first of all, there's probably someone out there who's written something like that before, and whether you've read it or not, it doesn't matter if your thing copies it. And second of all, that's not really what matters in a story, right? Like, the person who said that to me wasn't criticizing me, but it's still important to remember that that's not something that matters in terms of what's original and what's not. And a lot of writers like Stephen King will, will come out and say, you know, great writing means stealing. Like, to be a writer is to be a thief. You find good things all over the place. You find them in, in books, you find them in movies, you find them in TV shows, you find them in music, you find them in real life, and then you steal. You've, you, have a, you meet an interesting character at the bus stop, and that interesting character becomes a person in your next story because you just love their mannerisms. And, you know, you'll tweak a few things here and there, but don't be afraid of being unoriginal in the sense of taking from media that inspires you or things that inspire you. Yeah. My my biggest problem I have, I don't mind being derivative, I guess. In I I mind repeating what other people have said. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to do that. It it does bother me some if I've written something and then people come along and say, "Oh, yeah, this is just just like that other thing." And the implication to me has always been, so why would anyone read it, right? If if this is just a, a copy and paste of someone else's idea, then that that's the big point for of being original for me is that so people can say, oh, this is new, right? Right? You can't actually read everything that there is right. out there. So I uh, wrote, I was like fifty thousand words into this novel called. Uh, the gift and the burden, and I had I hadn't worked on it in quite some time, but the premise was that you speak these words of power, and then these 
static, one of spells happen depending on what syllables you say or whatever. And there was uh, like three chapters in there where this guy is trying to find new spells by trying to look at the syllables that are on in all the existing spells and he's going to just use some math and some ways of looking at patterns and find new spells that way and do a brute force search of it. <laughs> and then they set up this sweatshop where these people say these words from this list like on and on until they find a spell that works. And I wrote that like three years ago. And it has that at the, as its very first chapter. And I just thought to myself, oh man, this is like, I basically can't, I, I have to rework this. Right. If I ever, like, go, it was not necessarily a dead novel, but I hadn't done any work on it in a very long time. Um, but if I put that out now, I would, I know that I would get comments and people would be like, oh, that's just like Unsung. And it doesn't actually do anything to take away from your story exactly, but. Yeah, but it's not, it's no longer a very original idea, and most of the people who, uh, read the story would make that connection to Unsung, and then they would just be bored at, at, during those sections. Maybe. More of the story than, like, right. sweatshop and stuff, but that's about three chapters of material that needs to be cut, or I, I don't I don't know what to do with that story now. If I ever knew what to do with it, because obviously uh, a story that's moving along smoothly, you don't let it sit for three years in a folder somewhere, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, if there's a lot of work that, that a lot of writers do, and then eventually they shelve them, and they put them away for a while, and they can sometimes look back at them and say, is this worth dusting off, is it not? And our, exper- our experiences in the meantime, and our skill has changed in the meantime, that we might think we can do this a lot better, or we've read something that's, this is similar to. So a lot of originality also comes from incorporating what you've, what you've read and brought into other stories that you see that you think did it really well. So maybe like now that you've read on song, you can be like, okay, the sweatshop to find original spells things as a concept has been done in Unsong. And that doesn't mean you can't do it yourself. You think, you know, maybe some people might be bored if they've read Unsong and read your story. So that's maybe a fair observation. But you can also then say, when I write these chapters, what can I introduce into these chapters to make it a unique premise still? Like what, what can I do right. to have something happen in this sweatshop that didn't happen in, in Unsong? Yeah, I can't be repeating Unsung, I need to be building on it. Right. I think that's one of the most important parts of being derivative, is that you need to build on the things that you have seen and brought in and stolen from other places. You can't just insert them in and say, hey, that was cool when X did it, why don't I do it? I will say, though, that you might be, this might be a very personal thing. Like, I think you might be being a bit hard on yourself when you think that someone's going to be bored of your writing just because they've seen a sweatshop finding magic spells just like they have in Unsung. As previously mentioned, like some people really enjoy rereading even the same stories again and again, but even beyond that, reading stories that are very similar to the stories they've read before. And in different settings, with different characters, the same concepts can be explored in new ways that still make them very entertaining. And I'm sure that there's you know other stories out there that do the sweatshop to find magic in some respect. I'm sure there are two, but when I thought of it, I was like, yes, this right, is a right, right. brilliant idea. Never seen it before. Um, yeah, it just changes what has to be done with the material, I think. Right. And I, my immediate reaction on reading that chapter was, oh no, but I can probably still salvage that story. It's not, I don't think that it's a lost cause necessarily, but it was sitting on the shelf for yeah. several years anyway, so 
it can go for another decade, I guess. <laughs> I was, I mean, when I read Worm, um, I mean, I had a fairly large epic story um, in mind and part of it written about superheroes and, you know, extra-dimensional beings that, that appear every so often and a realistic take on how superheroes would interact with governments and private citizens and things like that and how they face these extra-dimensional beings and band together or, or fight each other in, in spite of them and all that. And then, of course, I read Worm and I was like, well... I'm probably not going to write a better superhero story than Worm. I might write something that's hopefully about as good, maybe a little bit worse, still unique, whatever. Um, but the and obviously Worm goes way beyond just the Endbringers. But Worm, to me, when I read Worm, I definitely thought that superhero story is going to have to wait for a very long time to become something else. And within that same year, I was writing the Pokemon National Fic and the power of the giant monster attacking civilization, how does it respond? Obviously translates to the legendary Pokemon in the Pokemon setting for me very very well. Like, it's something that I kind of always wanted out of Pokemon, since I was a very little kid, was to see media I, you know, I loved the, the Pokemon movies I only saw the first few of them, but the Pokemon movies that really addressed like how do, how do trainers in the Pokemon world deal with legendary Pokemon that are so much stronger than any individual trainer can really face and band together to fight it, and I wanted more of that, and I wanted to write a story that, that addressed that. Yeah. So once you see something like that in, in Worm, for example, the Endbringers, like, translating that to another setting with different characters and different consequences can still allow you to be derivative and be original at the same time. Because, you know, any, anyone who's read my story uh, and read Worm will see the parallel right away and ask very intelligent questions, usually, about what the difference in the Endbringer versus Legendary Pokemon will be in, in how people respond to them. Because the rules of the world are very different, obviously. But it's still it's still okay to use the idea that isn't original in and of itself as long as the surrounding is. Yeah. So I one of my ways to be original is uh, the mix-and-match method of originality. Because mm-hmm. there, are, there are N things in the world, and then there are N squared ways to combine all those things. Right. And you can take two things that are not original, that are, you know, tired or worn out even, and combine them together and get something unique out of it that, that no one has seen before. Um, I really like in comic books when they shift their setting from the sort of floating modern day back to uh, medieval times or, like, back to the 1700s. Right, right. And you just get you get so much more out of it, and it's so much more unique, while still using things that everyone's familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Very basic lessons of story writing include things like you can write a story that has someone familiar in an unfamiliar world, or you can write a story about someone unfamiliar in a familiar world. Right? You either have like Harry Potter. You have someone from our world going into the magical world and learning all about it, which is very useful in the sense of you got a reader insert that can ask all the questions that you you would ask in that circumstance and learn all the things through exposition and conversation that you'd want them to learn. But the other kind of story you can have is a familiar world with a unfamiliar character in it, told from the perspective, obviously, of the familiar person. So alien invaders or the introduction of a, of a new culture to your culture. 
that's uh, really great for comedy. Right, right. Uh, Mork and Mindy, I Dream of Jeannie, Bewitched. You have that unfamiliar person come in, and they have all these hilarious misunderstandings. The Gods Must Be Crazy is a, is yep, a, is I love a that movie. great movie, yeah. yeah. And it's really a basic archetype for writing that helps with, you know, if every story falls into more or less two or three or four settings like this that can be summed up in that kind of in that kind of framework. Um, how do you be original? Well, you be original by new kinds of characters, new kinds of challenges, new kinds of solutions to those challenges. There's lots of ways to do it, but to remember that to be original in that kind of setting, take it past where you've seen before. Take it in a direction that you were curious about when you saw that thing happen. Uh, take it in a in a new flavor that you wanted to know about when you saw the thing. Because if you're writing fiction, like you said, you want to write something that you know you haven't seen before, or you want to write something that entertained you or made you feel something the same way that you experienced when you saw it or when you read it. And bringing in the new perspective of what happens when someone is introduced to a magical world but knows something that this character didn't know is yeah. is very is one of the core ways to make sure that you don't fall prey to unoriginality. Yeah. One other one before we go, um, the random method of rationality. You can go to Wikipedia and you can hit, there's a Wikipedia special random and it'll just serve you up a random web page. And most of them are just for things that you haven't heard of or have never seen the story before. Uh, I, I love random generators for coming up with ideas um, just to, to to not be taking from anything. Right. And you're, you're also bypassing your brain's own desire to go for the easy targets, right? Your brain is lazy and is trying to just match patterns. So the first 10 ideas that you come up with will probably just be the first 10 ideas that anyone else would come up with. They're all the easy ideas. All the ideas from the same culture, demographic background that you did. Yeah, so you can go to Wikipedia. Um, you can go. There are bunches of random generators everywhere because they're super easy to make. But um, you can go to Wikipedia and you can get a page about site swap notation for juggling. Uh, just random stuff that you could put in a story. It's very hit or miss. You have to hit that random button quite a few times before you can come across something that you would actually want to use. But um, I, I found that to be very helpful if I'm think I'm stuck in a rut or if I think I'm my ideas aren't original enough. Right. Yeah. Uh, random generators are very useful tool in video games. Obviously, they allow for a video, not just video games, uh, games in general, like tabletop RPGs. The random encounters are kind of a unusable trope in stories because they they feel very gamey and gimmicky. Right, you don't want you don't want the central conflicts in a story to all be um, randomly generated. But if, if you're just looking for ideas for framing or for ways to introduce new thoughts into your conception of a story, a random generator can also be very useful for that. Yeah. So one thing that you mentioned was you know if you're in the middle of a story that and you discover suddenly discover that you're not original, you know don't panic and you can introduce different ways of dealing with it like we talked about before. I, I have a uh, random generator that I made for uh, superpowers mm -hmm. that basically just is a stock list of superpowers and then a yes but or yes and oh, and yeah. then okay. some some other modifier for it. I use that for Glimwarden where people have signatures mm -hmm. that are 
their unique thing that they can do. I found that really helpful to just sort of superpowers. They're not actually superheroes, but it's similar in theme. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I really like is the setting of everyone has a, like there's two kinds of, I guess you'd call them magic systems. One is there are certain kinds of magic and everyone uh, can learn those kinds of magic. Like you can have, alchemists and sorcerers and uh, wizards and witches and maybe they all have their own kind of magic and you can dabble in each one or you can learn each one or you can be born into one of them if it's if it's a genetic thing but there's also the kind of magic where each individual has their own specific power which is generally called the superhero genre because you've got very rarely as we've mentioned in, in a previous episode very rarely will you have two people with the same power it makes it kind of boring. It doesn't really offer the same diversity of and interesting situations. Yeah, and I actually first noticed the that distinction years back. I was watching Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, yeah. And they all run on the, the same, same system. Like, yep. The same system, but then they each have specialties within it, and then they append that to their name. It's like, oh, you're the Full Metal Alchemist. You're the uh, Fire Alchemist. It's been a long time since I watched the show, but they they each have their own unique thing within that system and i really loved that yeah it takes all the strengths of having everyone be in one system and then it adds in the unique flavor for each person yeah that's that's actually a really good example because one of the challenges in rational fiction is having a understandable structured magic system which we'll talk about in another episode but having the uniqueness of each person having their own power like like mutants like superheroes adds that diversity that something like Harry Potter doesn't really have in terms of the magic system because anyone can learn any spell. Right. So it's Full Metal Alchemist did it really very well. I think uh, Glim Warden is doing a good job with it. And bending in Avatar, The Last Airbender. You have four types of benders. Generally speaking, those are the water, fire, earth, and air. And most airbenders can do things that most other airbenders can do, and most waterbenders can do things other waterbenders can do. But you also have, for example, some waterbenders that are really good at healing, and they folk, either because they practice it or because they're they're genetically, you know, predisposed towards being better healers. And then you have some people that invent or are really adept at unique kinds of bending that are derivative, like um, ice bending or metal bending or lightning bending and things like that. And if you're writing something that you want to be you know, where you want to have people have a small set of the same kinds of powers, but you also want to add uniqueness to it, add originality to it. That would be a great model to follow. That one, uh, Full Metal Alchemist, things like that, where people kind of, they can have a familiar power that other people have, or use a system that's similar to another to what everyone else uses, but either their genetics dispose them towards having something unique, or because of their personality, they practice a certain thing more than everyone anyone else does, or they add some twist to it that other people wouldn't. Like using, for example, water bending with a with the physical movements and martial arts of a different um, one that isn't traditionally with water bending. Yeah, they had different bending styles for people within the same school of bending. They had two airbenders who faced off against each other and fought in very different ways that made them distinct and original, even though you'd seen... There's a breakdown of fight choreography for it that I really enjoyed. That that series had amazing fight choreography. Right, right, it did, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that you need to be aware of is the ways that you can tweak your parameters. Because if people both had airbending, we've seen airbending, then they fight each other in a symmetrical uh, way, or they're just using the same techniques that you've seen throughout the whole series that becomes unoriginal after a long enough time period of watching things like that. Right. 
and people start to lose interest. So the way that they did it was they had each person use a, a very different style within the same school. And so they're using the same abilities, but they're using them in different ways and with different postures and stances. One's much more aggressive and the other is much more deflective. Right. The tempo can be can be different. Yeah. So to recap, ways to keep your stories original despite everything being a remix. First, I'd say to explore things to the ends of their implications. If you see a story or a theme in some piece of media that you enjoy and want to do your own take on, explore its premise and conceits as far as you can, especially if you're writing a rational story. Second is to combine story elements from different media. Uh, if you're writing a fantasy story and you need a magic system, uh, write one where the different magic schools focus around game roles of healing, tanking, damage, support, then explore what a society that has such clear roles and complementary schools or guilds looks like. Third, change the setting of a story you enjoy. So instead of a muggle finding out about the magic world for the first time and going into it, tell the story of a wizard discovering and exploring the muggle world. Or take the Avatar world and jump ahead 100 years when technology has made certain bending more or less useful and there's huge class divides between the different nations or the divide between benders and non-benders is smaller. None of these things are mutually exclusive and none of them are necessary to tell a good or original story, but they can help, especially if you're writing fanfiction or some other derivative works. But that's a whole other conversation, really. Yeah. Um, we will save that for next episode, uh, which will be all about fanfiction. Yep, see you next time, and thanks for listening.